and welcome to the Business of Data podcast. I'm your host, Catherine King, and it's a pleasure to have you join us today. In this series, we'll be speaking to senior data analytics leaders to share their experiences, challenges, and insights. Let's go ahead and dive straight into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Business of Data podcast. This week, we will be focusing our theme all around AI, specifically looking into ethical, responsible, and explainable AI. We couldn't think of anyone better than to bring in Scott Zoldi, who is the CAO from FICO. As the Chief Analytics Officer for FICO, Scott Zoldi is actively involved in the development of new analytics products and big data applications. Whilst at FICO, he has been responsible for authoring 110 patents for analytics technology, with 56 granted and 54 pending. Scott received his PhD in theoretical and computational physics from Duke University. University and focused much of his postdoctorate work on the study of chaos theory. He lives and works near FICO's headquarters in San Diego, California, and he also serves on the board of numerous industry groups in the area. Wow, we what an introduction! Welcome, Scott. <laughs> thank How you. How are you doing Pleasure today? To I'm great, thank you. Awesome, awesome. Well, it's absolutely lovely to have you. And uh, I, I'm going to dive in straight away with some questions. And I always like to get in a nosy question first. And I see on your LinkedIn, it says that you've always loved uh, San Diego, California, since you visited as a postdoc student. Now, I've never been myself. It was definitely on the bucket list. So what drew you to, uh, to that place originally? Um, so, you know, I really enjoyed San Diego for a couple of reasons. One, one is just, it's a beautiful place, right? So the beaches, the weather, uh, and people were pretty laid back. And it was very different mm. than other parts of the United States that I uh, had been living. So when I visited a friend here, I decided this was a really great place to be. And, you know, it's interesting how life takes you on different journeys because I went and researched uh, leading AI companies. And while on that same visit, you know, I found there was a company called HNC Software. And so it was kind of okay. like two things hitting at once. And, yeah. and HNC is, is where I got my start. Um, and so that was one of the reasons I've moved to San Diego, but I enjoy it thoroughly. Oh, wow. So really the stars aligned for you and, and that's kind of how you find yourself there. That's fantastic. So I, and I mentioned in the intro that you have authored um, a number of patents for AI technologies across your career. And I'm going to start this podcast with a really, really difficult question because I'm going to ask you, out of all of the ones that you have patented, what is the one you're most proud of? Yeah, I mean, that, that's really tough, right? Um, so I, you know, I, 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 if I think through it, right, I think one of the ones I'm most interested in and, and kind of most excited about was one which is called uh, multi-layered self-calibrating analytics. And, and the reason why I like this one is it's a, a very early patent around um, AI that is self-learning, right? It's okay. essentially uh, AI that works without data um, that explores what we call the latent features or the relationships mm -hmm. that are within that uh, data set. Um, for problems that you can't solve um, that depend on data. And so mm -hmm. we leverage that technology, usually in the areas of cybersecurity or brand new fraud scenarios where there's no historical data. Um, and so really nice technology that kind of essentially automatically learns the, tech, the different nonlinearities right. and then works with a human being. So it's really this sort of concept of AI and human beings working together to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's probably the one that I, I didn't, you know, would be my favorite. Fantastic. I know it's always, always hard to pick a favorite when uh, you're probably proud of quite 
quite a lot of them. So let's let's get into the the meat of this of this uh, topic, and just for the benefit of the audience, to to allow you guys some context, FICO recently commissioned uh, Cranium to conduct an in-depth survey of a hundred C-suite executives, mostly uh, chief data officers, chief analytic officers, and chief analysts and data officers combined. And this was all aimed at discovering how uh, how they're working on building AI-powered organisations in today's very disrupted um, business environment. So, really, Scott, let's let's start out this conversation by um, working through what was the idea behind this research. Kind of where did that spark come from for you? So, for us, you know, we really wanted a benchmark of the industry and, and where mm -hmm. you know people were with respect to AI. We we see a lot of people very interested in you know, what AI can offer and machine learning can offer in terms of business benefits, but there's a, a wide variety of maturity that we see uh, mm -hmm. in, in the field. And so we wanted to really get a benchmark of that and a better understanding of where the industry was and, you know, who better than the CAOs and CDOs to, to kind of give that uh, yeah. perspective. Um, and, you know, because they can give a very honest sort of internal view of, you know, their own sort of progress with advancing these technologies. And for, for us as a, a leading AI machine learning company, it was really important for, to make a determination for um, where everyone is on this journey. Mm -hmm. um, particularly nowadays as AI and machine learning is getting out of the sort of infancy stages of business adoption and getting into the maturity stage. Absolutely. And obviously ourselves as event directors, I mean, you look at the agendas from say five years ago to now, what was starting out is just kind of beginning that journey and you, you hit the nail on the head perfectly by saying kind of moving beyond that infancy. And I think having a report and a study to, to work out now where people are out of the gate is, is a fantastic idea. Now, obviously you are well, well ingrained in this community. So when you were kind of thinking about this, this project, with your own professional experience and uh, kind of knowledge of, of others, what were your kind of expectations of, of where this, this research would, would go? So one of the expectations that I had was that uh, we would see some sensibility across the, okay. the CAOs and CDOs. And, and one of the reasons uh, for that is, you know, we are being bombarded almost continuously with, you know, brand new cloud technologies mm -hmm. and, and technologies that will auto build models. And, you know, I think one of the things that I expected to see and I was glad to see is things like scorecards and regression still continue to be key technology for, um, for, for the CDOs and CAOs um, because, you know, they are really well suited for regulatory environments. They're very well understood and, and very seasoned technologies. And so I was pleased to see that, you know, that we weren't overtaken by the hype of deep learning or the access to cloud technology. Yeah. Um, so I think that was interesting. Um, you know, we, we also had a really strong interest on um, what was the pandemic response to the use of AI. Um, mm -hmm. we, we know where it was before, but, you know, with the pandemic, there's lots of interesting challenges. Um, the data is changing very rapidly. People are questioning whether they can use the existing technologies, whether they would go and use AI to learn quickly, um, you know, on, on non-transient data. And so that was also something we wanted to have an understanding and then I think finally, you know, the, the piece that I was excited to see was that, that everyone's focused on um, ethical AI and explainable AI, which are tremendously mm -hmm. important techno uh, concepts. Um, and, you know, we see that even the largest organizations in the world making very significant mistakes for the uses of machine learning technology around those concepts. And, you know, it was good to see that nearly all, everyone that's been kind of surveyed um, 
you know, had a view that that was important. And that's what I expected. Yeah. And I was very happy to see that. Otherwise, I'd be much more concerned about the AI machine learning that is used to make decisions around, uh, you know, us as consumers and us as individuals and in society. Absolutely. So let me let me pick up on that point, um, just for the benefit of, of the audience and for me myself. Can you explain perhaps the, the terms and then the, the differences between explainable AI, ethical AI, and then responsible AI? Because often they do get clustered together, but they are kind of separate terms in themselves, aren't they? Yeah, so um, so explainable AI would be the first one, which is you know a, a technology that allows us to go and give the reasons why the the machine learning model uh, provided, a, let's say, a, a score or an outcome, um, and and those are really important because it allows us as human beings an understanding of how did the machine make uh, a determination or what would be an explanation that we would give, um, Catherine, in respect to um, yeah. a decision that was got made. Um, you know, it's been around for a very long time, more than 20 years, um, but, you know, there's lots of different technology out there. Um, I think our biggest challenge is probably lack of standards. Um, then there's ethical AI, um, and ethical AI is, 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 has always been important, um, and it's even more important if you look at today's events uh, with respect to being ethical, and it, it applies um, to, um, to models as well. And, and, you know, I think if we look at our own social context today, you know, when we build models, they're built on data that reflects our society. To, and to the extent that the data uh, that is around our society is biased, which it is, um, then you need to build models that you can demonstrate do not necessarily reflect the same biases within society. And so that's a, a set of, of, of technology and approaches that basically look at models and look at different protected classes, whether it be uh, different ethnicities, uh, whether it be protect different group protected groups, and say, you know, is the model being more biased or harsher towards one group of individuals than another, and then making a determination of how to remedy that. Mm -hmm. And then finally, responsible AI is essentially demonstrating that you've, you've done the explaining, you've done the ethical AI sort of analysis, you can prove it, you can demonstrate it to regulators, but you've also built the model in a responsible way, meaning that there are safeguards on this model, much like, you know, every time you step in a car, the brake pedal is not in a different part of the car, right? And so, you know, <laughs> yeah. there are certain standards that we have for, you know, when we drive an automobile, uh, where we expect the pedals to be. Um, the same thing applies to AI. You know, we have to show that it was built safely, it was built responsibly, that we chose the right sort of data, and we have protections to alert people when they may not want to use this model and, and go to an alternate technology. And that would be responsible AI, which, you know, groups all those concepts together. Fantastic. Brilliant. Now, I'm going to look at my notes for this, this next question I want to ask you because I want to get the numbers right. So, in the, in the study that we, that we did together, it showed that 93% of, uh, of those who, who uh, responded, so the CDI CEOs, say that ethical considerations represent a barrier to AI adoption in their organizations. I mean, that's such a big number, 93% uh, answering that. Were you surprised by that number when you saw it? Um, not really. I mean, I, I think it, it's, I think we're starting to get an understanding of the fact that the, the hype cycle of AI is over and the hard work has mm -hmm. begun, you know, and I often talk about it's time for AI to grow up. And 
So from that perspective, I think many people are looking at their organizations and understanding that they have to define one standard within the organization. They need to make sure that it aligns regulatory, from a regulatory perspective. They need to align all the data scientists around a centralized management or standardization of how you do that. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of work, right? And, and so I, you know, I interpret that as you know, it's a barrier because it has to be done. And probably there's some framework that most organizations need to do to set those up properly. Um, and get buy-in from legal and buy-in from their C-suite uh, with respect to how that's done. And um, that, that takes work, right? Versus if you could just, you know, put out a model and not necessarily go through all that rigor, um, then, you know, that, that's relatively straightforward. But in today's day and age with things like GDPR and all the different privacy and, and yeah. kind of AI regulatory um, legislation and guidelines out there, you know, that, that, that time is over, right? And, and now mm-hmm. there's some serious work and process in place uh, for, for them to, to put in the right standards around ethical uh, AI within their organizations. Absolutely. I, I love that idea that the hype, the hype cycle's finished and the hard work begins. What a, what a great soundbite that is. And then talking about that then, hard work, uh, 96% of the survey respondents said that they put in some level of ethical um, standard and process in place, but out of that 96, only 33% um, said that they monitor their models to ensure that there's kind of a continued accuracy. So you had a large portion saying they've done that, but then the continuation on it uh, was, was somewhat limited. So do you think what people are currently doing, and I think I can guess your answer, um, is, is enough? Is it sufficient um, in, in terms of uh, what's being done to, to ensure this uh, ethical work is, is being achieved? So I think this is a reflection of the journey. Um, and so I think, you know, most people uh, have this vantage point that, um, that, you know, we build a model and when we build the model, we, we do the very best job we can. And if we've put in the testing around that at the time we built the model, and if we believe we're building models ethically, um, mm-hmm. then, you know, that probably explains the 96% figure. Uh, but, but I think what the challenge is, and this might be some of the barrier of the previous, you know, point that we talked about is um, to ensure that a model is ethical, um, and working properly, you need to monitor it continuously. And not just for model performance, right? You need to look at it from an ethics perspective. So look at the pandemic, right? The pandemic, um, depending where you are in the world, um, affects different um, protected groups and ethnic groups mm-hmm. differently mm-hmm. Um, based on you know, their, their exposure to the virus and the types of work that they're forced to do. Um, and, and that means that models that may have been ethical at the time they got built are no longer ethical today. Um, and so I, I think that's that the the part of the journey that con- needs to continue, right? Um, I off I did a, a a talk recently where I represented this as a, you know, as a car with a roof rack where you're bringing in a shovel and gasoline and you're going on some sort of safari, right? And mm-hmm. and so a model isn't just building the car and then releasing it from the showroom. It's it's coming with an owner's manual and it's coming with all the tools you need to understand how it reacts to different conditions. And I think that's part of the growing up, right? To really see this as, you know, you're not done building the model um, when you're done building the model. You're done with the model when it ceases to be used, right? And so that means you're you're on the hook and you're you're on the entire life cycle of the use of that AI or machine learning within the organization. I love that. So it's not, it's not a quick fix that I think was possibly, uh, again, you know, talking about the stages and journey um, that, that was previously said, you know, the kind of the buzzwords of machine learning and AI and kind of the great things they could provide is kind of subsiding and actually that understanding of it being a journey and an organic process is, is certainly there. So just to kind of wrap up this this kind of theme then, 
in your view, what should executives be doing to ensure that their organisations are using AI technologies ethically? What kind of benchmarking things do you think should be there? So I think one of the things that needs to be done is that, you know, there has to be recognition that this is really a C-level or board sort of responsibility to ensure mm -hmm. that the models that are being built, you know, have a standard established, right? That the standard may not be perfect, but it, it has to be a standard, it has to be written down, and there has to be governance around it. Um, and so I think that's the very first step. And then there has to be some sort of organization, whether and typically, you know, owned by and managed by the, the, the CAO or the CDO. Mm -hmm to enforce that across the organization, right? Um, uh, today, you know, I've talked to organizations that, that don't have any, you know, set process in place. I've talked to some that do have a process in place. Um, I think that's the very first step. And once you have that step, then you can put governance around it to demonstrate that it's being used, um, to improve it over time, mm -hmm. to socialize it with your peers, to go and, and have that discussion with the regular, regulatory bodies with respect to what this looks like, um, to get to a point of, of parity, right? This, the standards and ethics of, of how this gets done and ensure it's done properly. Without that, right, you, what you're gonna have is hundreds of data scientists all trying their best um, yeah. to figure out what that means. And it's gonna be 101 different ways of, of, of doing that. And, and that's not a process and, and no, you know, no organization would really, you know, stomach that right if we can we look at the the parallel of, of software engineering right they you know most uh, most firms don't have dozens or hundreds of software development paradigms and, mm -hmm. and, and repositories and what have you and the same sort of rigor has to apply here absolutely now i want to ask you about transparency because we kind of touched on it earlier where you were saying you know kind of having that knowledge of what's going into the model and then kind of revising that and you used that fantastic example with uh, minority groups in, in covid and how you know previously that data may have been okay but now you know the, the model may not be responding to it um clearly so do you think that um ai leaders have a responsibility to ensure that these systems are operating in a fair and transparent way and then the kind of second part to that is do you think that ai systems should always be transparent and explainable so i i think it's the responsibility of the cao or cdo to ensure that the models that are built are are um you know to to a to a standard of ethics and, and responsibility that they establish. And so um, it, it's the buck stops with them, right? Mm -hmm. And they should be empowered to enforce that across the organizations, right? Um, because at the end of the day, you know, they're setting the, the highest level of standard for, for that organization. Um, I, I also believe models should always be built transparently and, and ethically. And, and the reason for that is if, if you don't have a very strong understanding of what the model has learned, um, then you really don't understand how it may be responding um, to, to changing or different data. You know, mm -hmm. we, when we build models, we, we take data from, you know, a historical data perspective. We build a model and we assume that data will look exactly like the data from the, the previous history. And, you know, it won't. And then we say, well, these models, we build these models to generalize or be robust. But in the end of the day, right, um, as we turn more and more of our decision making over to the machine, uh, it's learning relationships that most human beings just don't have the ability to, um, to understand or to anticipate. Um, and, and without that sort of visibility, right, you're really taking a risk. And some organizations will be burnt very badly uh, yeah. because they don't understand how the model will react to unseen or changing data. Um, and that's why, you know, when we do our work, right, we enforce that we need to understand each and every latent feature, which are these nonlinear 
nonlinearities in these models so we can examine them. You know, are they palatable? Are they monotonic? Do they make sense? Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. that, that sets the guide rails for, for where we may not want to use the model in the, in the, in the future. So I, I believe every model should be built that way. Um, and there shouldn't be a decision process that would say, yes, this model should and this model should not. Absolutely. So I want to pick up on a point you, you said there. So you said that the kind of the buck stops with the C-suite, um, whether that be CDO or CAO. But the, the challenging part about AI when you're starting to automate processes is kind of understanding um, who is accountable for um, the way that these AI systems operate. So do you still think that, you know, even when these things become automated, that the buck still does remain with the CDO? So I believe so, right? And it, that, that requires tooling, right? And so one of the things that we've, uh, you know, we've been advocating for some period of time now is what we call a, a model governance blockchain. Okay. And so that model governance blockchain would basically establish and, and you know, automate the process. So, mm -hmm. you know, on that would be what is the model I'm building? What is the data I'm using? Who signed off that the data is appropriate? Um, you know, what are the variables have been used? Have they been approved by the manager? Um, have they gone through a governance process? which tests have been done and, and, and so forth and so forth uh, with respect to, you know, uh, explainable AI, the ethics testing, bias testing, and, and stability and robustness. And so I think, you know, the, if you have that process in place and it would be named people, right? It would be, you yeah. know, Sally did this and John did that, right? And they approved it or did not approve it. It, it, it puts a lot of more of accountability into the process, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I think, uh, it would still end there, right? They would enforce that process. And again, like any other process, it would improve over time. But just simply having that and then automating it and auditing it, right? And that's why we want it on the blockchain because you can't change history, right? If Scott's made some bad decisions and Scott should be held to those uh, yeah. bad decisions, he should review them uh, and, and improve upon them. So I think that's, that's why it's so important to have something like this, this model governance blockchain because then it allows um, the organization to have the one standard, to enforce that standard and then understand where it's not being uh, uh, followed, the, right? Where so the broken mediated. link is, yeah. Exactly. Yep. Fantastic. Awesome. So let's 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 move on um, in in our themes, and I'm going to dive back into the the report in front of me because I want to get these these numbers correct. So from our uh, respondents and from the research, it shows that 12% of enterprises with C level um, folks said that. They had experienced, uh, so 12% of them, sorry, uh, said they had experienced an adversarial AI attack. And then 24% uh, of, uh, of those guys had also seen data poisoning as well. Now, although compared to the other numbers we've, we've discussed previously, 12 and 24% sounds quite low, but I have a feeling you're going to tell me that this is probably something that AI leaders need to be concerned about. Absolutely. So I, you know, I think they need to be concerned about it. And I think we realistically, I mean, those are the numbers they know about, right? Um, mm. I, I think there's a lot more that they're probably unaware that's occurred, right? And, yeah. and I say that only because, you know, one of the boards that I, I focus on is around cybersecurity, right? And it's amazing how um, easy it is for either insiders within an organization and or mm. uh, people hacking into an organization to, to go and, and manipulate data, right? And so, you know, I think the numbers are probably realistically higher. And I think why it's so important is because, you know, at the very beginning of this, we, we are building models generally on historical data. And if that data is tampered with and manipulated, um, then, yeah. you know, 
we may or may not be able to see into that, right? And so, yes, if we look and build the models ethically and properly, we can go look at whether or not it makes sense. And, and that's why we should understand very, very deeply the models, because we as human beings can say, no, it doesn't make sense that people who have last names of Zoldi, right, have the very best scores, right? That that shouldn't be, uh, you know, something that the model would have learned, right? Yeah. But, you know, you know, that is something that if you haven't gone and done all the work to look at what the model has actually learned, you won't know. Um, and it's very, very subtle. Um, you know, a lot of my work is is focused on adversarial AI and, you know, basically machine learning models attacking machine learning models. And it's a little a bit of an arms race with respect <laughs> to these technologies. And so, you know, I, I think it's a real threat. I think it's something that most CAOs and CDOs don't spend enough time thinking about. Um, but, you know, it goes back to this sort of broader view, right? If, if, it, if a model that you build is going to impact millions of consumers, let's say, right, um, and make a, a, you know, some of those decisions are very big decisions for people, let's say whether or not they get a loan or not, right, or whether or not yeah. they're, they're blocked for certain types of transactions. Um, you know, that's really important, right, um, to, to go look at the, the impact of, of data and really put more controls mm -hmm. in place. So just picking up on that, you, you say that you have this feeling that um, the C-suite aren't really thinking about this as much. Why do you think that is? Why do you think people aren't, you know, why isn't this top of the to-do list? So I think, you know, um, th there's a big challenge that we still have today around, you know, data provenance uh, mm -hmm. and data governance, right? And it's a big focus, particularly for the CDOs, but even CAOs. Where do the data come from? What is the quality of that data? You know, a few years ago, you'd find that there'd be a hundred different places where certain, let's say, a customer details would be located and, and very often different. And you try to figure out which one is the right one for, yeah. for Scott. Um, I think that's gotten a lot better, right? But, you know, I think the quality of the data has always been a problem. Uh, when you look at model built development, it's almost accepted that the data is almost always messy and, 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 yeah. and somewhat uh, uh, challenging to work with. Um, I think what's, what's lost is, you know, yes, amongst all that noise, which is data, right, uh, is, is an ability to manipulate that data. And I just think it's a lack of awareness that this is a real problem. Generally, mm. we, we think about cybersecurity and we think, okay, someone's going to hack into my organization and steal a database and sell the information to, on the black market um, or on the, the dark web. Yeah. But, you know, I think more, more sophisticated criminals um, are going to get in and try to manipulate data such that it prefers, let's say, an outcome for them. And where these outcomes are made by models and where the models yeah. are not necessarily have being built responsibly, you know, they could very easily succeed in biasing a model in such a way that they have a preferred outcome, whether to commit a crime or to get a better rate or, or you know, better arbitrage. Yeah. And that's what we have to really protect against. So it's almost almost more subtle. So I, I mean, I had I had a question to ask you, saying kind of what are the biggest risks associated with that? But is it a case that it is you know it's it's not as obvious as just someone coming in and stealing a lot of data? Is that that level of um, you know shifting outcomes to be? Are there any other risks that you think are, are kind of up there for for not dealing with this and having um, adversarial AI attacks? So I think, you know, one, one is to, you know, we, we need to do all the responsible AI to make sure that what the models learned makes, makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. But the, the, the patterns can be very subtle, right? The example of, you know, people with the last name Zoldi or last names that start with Z, right? Um, this would be a situation where, um, you know, you may not find that as you look at the model, right? It may right. not be that subtle. And, and so that requires a lot of this testing and ongoing testing. And, you know, we saw in the, one of the earlier questions that we discussed, um, around, you know, only 33% monitor in production. 
um, very often, you know, you're going to see the effect of this adversarial AI uh, once the model's out there in live, right? Yeah. And that's where, you know, we would have to have other types of models. So very often what we have in addition to the core model is a model that would look for anomalies or outliers in terms of the way that the data is being presented to the model as a way to detect these adversarial attacks. I think it's really hard, right? I mean, it, it's, it's kind of, uh, in some sense, it's humorous, right? We all get very excited about, you know, facial recognition and things like this, but we don't realize that, you know, the detection rates and the error rates are not that great, right? It's, it's relatively yeah. easy to trick an AI. Um, and so from that perspective, um, I think it's just an education process, um, ensuring that the data is making sense, you build responsibly, and then do some comparisons and building models that would look for abnormalities within the data um, as the model is deployed and alert to it. Um, and, and so that someone can go look at it from a human perspective and say, now, you know, the model shouldn't be biasing this way towards, you know, these groups mm -hmm. of people or, or this particular type of transaction. We think something's, um, something's awry here. And it may go war way back to the model, right? And at that point, right, we need to have backup technologies if the model has truly been kind of tampered with through a data poisoning attack or, or other yeah. scenario. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. So looking back into this report, I want to ask you if you were surprised when you saw that one in three of these executives believe that their organization isn't fully prepared for stricter regulations around ethical AI. Should they be? Um, so, um, so, so I'm not surprised that, that, you know, there's, there's a number of that, that are, you know, concerned with this, right? I think, mm. Um, most, most of the CAOs and CDOs don't have sufficient processes in place for the harder regulation. And to be fair, uh, you know, a lot of these sort of regulation or guidance is, is, is open for interpretation, right? Yeah. And so it's the biggest challenges that we have um, are, you know, CDOs and CAOs need to come together to come up with a set of standards, right? So let's say I have a, a methodology that I believe is sufficient from a regulatory perspective. Um, well, may, maybe the regulator doesn't think so, right? Or maybe it works for regulator A, but not for regulator B or C, right? Or mm -hmm. maybe it depends on who they send to, to talk to me from, from one week to the next. And so I think our biggest challenge probably in being prepared for this is, is actually having the, the, a set, set of standards that we're all going to operate from, right? There, there are probably at least 24 different explainable AI algorithms out there, mm -hmm. some good, some bad, some ugly, right? And, and so from that perspective, you know, what are the ones that are gonna be used for each industry? What is the standards, right? And I think there's a long way to go and we have to do that in, in coordination um, with the regulatory bodies. So I think that's a big part of it, right? Even if, you know, one is the internal standards, which we've talked about that probably need to be established yeah. and developed and refined. But then two is, you know, what's going to be broadly accepted from a regulatory perspective, particularly where, um, you know, a lot of them are written with, you know, broad guidance, right, of, of kind of like, you know, it's like these yeah. are the morals of models, right, and that's very different than demonstrating that you've met a standard, right, uh, of, of, of conduct. And so I think it's a challenging situation to be a CAO and CDO right now with these, these changing environments. I think, you know, they need to band together, right? And I see the banks, mm -hmm. you know, we do a lot of work with the financial institutions. I see banks doing this very often, right? Where they have challenges with, you know, understanding how to come up with a, a similar sort of standard that they use with regulators. I think the same thing has to occur for, for models and, and things will get a little bit more, um, you know, more, uh, uh, 
easier to kind of deal with with respect to being prepared yeah. and feeling that you're prepared, right? Because, you know, uh, you need to understand what that standard would be and have agreement. And I, I think the more that we see uh, this community coming together to do that, I think we would be in a better position. There are, frankly, probably no one better to make those recommendations than the CAOs and CDOs in, in mm -hmm. you know, in collaboration and coordination. Um, and so I think that's what needs to happen so that people feel more prepared. Absolutely. Now, across this conversation, we've, we've almost felt a bit doom and gloom about some things, but I know there's, there's probably great examples of, of companies that are doing um, ethical AI and, and everything else that we've spoken about today quite well. Is there anyone that springs to mind uh, for you who, who is kind of doing, doing this um, a lot better than others? So I, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I always get a lot of uh, inspiration from is, you know, um, the customers that use some of our products. So, you know, we, we, have, um, we have something called Falcon. Falcon is one of the world's first and one of the larger, more successful AI machine learning technologies mm -hmm. for fraud. At the very inception of this product, there was already explainable AI in there where, you know, you'd get a score and you'd get uh, these three recent codes. And so I can look across, you know, our client base, um, which is some 9,000 financial institutions. And when they have a conversation with the client, they've been doing this for, for years now, they do it based on these recent codes that come from the model that help them understand how they should form that conversation, help the consumer understand why the transaction has been um, declined or blocked. And, and I think this is you know, an example of, of an expectation, right? And the same thing applies in, in the credit risk areas, right, of, of our business, um, where you, know, you have a, a credit score, but then you have the adverse, uh, uh, adverse reasons or, or action codes associated with that, where you can go and say, okay, you know, the score could be better if you did X, Y, and Z. These are the reasons. And I think, you know, those are really the, you know, the, where we have to look at those sort of examples, I think, to get inspiration for what it's going to look like as models get more broadly adopted. Um, you know, very often, you know, we are kind of losing track of the fact that, you know, when we make an automated decision with a model, we need to actually have a conversation with a human being at the other end. And yep. not a data scientist and not someone that understands data, but, it, but, a, but a regular person that may or may not um, understand the ramifications of all the things that they've done, mm -hmm. quality of the data and what have you. And I think, you know, we're going to see, you know, more of this, right? But I get inspiration from those early examples, which already established, right, a, a standard of if I'm going to trust the model, I need to explain the model. And if the model isn't making sense based on the reasons or the explainable AI, no, then, then, you know, I'm not going to use that model, right? That's not something I'm going to be prepared to use. And, and, and I think that's the standard that needs to be set. Absolutely. And I, I know you mentioned you, you've got this uh, Falcon uh, technology, but how else is FICO working to uh, really help the industry in being, you know, uh, meeting those rigorous standards and, uh, you know, being ethical and responsible with AI? Yeah. So, so one is around, you know, just conversations like these, frankly, right. To, to just kind of, you know, challenge, um, you know, challenge people to think a little bit more broadly about their business. Um, you know, concepts like, you know, ethical AI is a continuous journey, maybe new to some people as, as we saw in the survey. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the other aspect of this is to, to basically start the commentary around, you know, what, what are good technologies for, let's say, explainable AI or ethical AI? What, what are not as good technologies, yeah. right? And, and to start those debates. So, you know, a lot of my time is spent having those discussions, typically with the C-suite, with, with our client base, so that they understand these concepts as they look at their business more broadly. 
Um, I think the other thing that we focus on now is, um, you know, we're, we're taking more and more of these technologies and making them available to, to clients or, or to data scientists that want to use tools from, from FICO. So, you know, one of the things that, that I really have a lot of excitement around is taking the best practices and IP, you know, and, and saying, well, you know, this is the approach that we, that we leverage, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and making that available to data scientists. So, for example, we have our own, you know, model development data uh, technologies where, and we have an analytic tool uh, workbench that can be used to build models. But in, as part of that, you know, it's not just about building the model. It's all the ethical uh, and, and explainable AI technology that comes with it. And I think, you know, that's the other sort of aspect of this, right, is to really um, empower people with tools, right? It, it's, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're an organization, you have three data scientists, and you're asking them to do all this themselves, it's going to be mm-hmm. very, very difficult. And it doesn't exist in open source today. And so I think that's the other sort of aspect is, is making the full sort of life cycle of AI and machine learning model development and, you know, monitoring and, and, and remediation are all available. And that's the other thing that we're focused on is, is kind of recognizing that, you know, some of these technologies need to be out and in the hands of data scientists more generally and to put those standards out there in terms of, you know, tools that they can use in their own development to, you know, to continue along that journey around responsible AI. Absolutely. And picking up on that point of communication, uh, those who are listening, do be sure to connect with Scott on LinkedIn, because if you do have any questions, I'm sure he'd love to give you the chance uh, to ask them and I'm sure he'll answer them uh, for you as well. Now, to wrap up this conversation, I'm going to finish on probably the hardest question I've asked you during this podcast, Scott. And given the crazy year we've had in 2020, I'm always a bit cautious about asking for predictions. But how do you see the lay of the land going for 2021? Is there anything that you think is going to be uh, really poignant in the next year? So, um, so it's yeah, it's, it's a little hard to predict. But I think, you know, in the next year, I'd say um, we're going to continue to see the hype you know, the hype battle, mm-hmm. right? And, and, I, and I, I, it's funny, you know, I, I've been in this, you know, I've been working for FICO for more than 21 years now, and I've seen a lot of phases. And, you know, I look back to like big data and big data was yeah. going to be saving the world and, and you just have to accumulate all the data and all the answers will magically appear, right? And, and there was a lot of pressure for people to collect all this data, and, you know, and, 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 you know, in doing so, right, they, they figured out they couldn't solve these problems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a lot of pressure. Today we're under other pressure, right? And that other pressure is, you know, build faster, build cheaper, right? And and this is really difficult. And 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 one of the the trends out there right now is auto ML. So mm-hmm. you know, technologies that automatically build the machine learning model for you. And you know, in some sense, I I look at it as you know, um, you put two hundred dollars into a, a cloud service provider and say, give me the best model that two hundred dollars will provide for me. Um, and I think that's a tremendous risk, right? And I, so I think in the coming year, we're going to see more of this responsible AI conversation um, where, uh, you know, on one side, there'll be those that will sell the auto ML sort of technologies and say, no, they, they work fine. They work quick. They work cheap. Um, and I think we're going to see that responsible AI front move forward, right, um, with respect to, you know, the importance of the human being. Uh, as part of this, right? Um, the, the, the gravitas of the decisions that are being made. And I'm, I'm really hopeful in the next year that, you know, we're going to understand that, you know, no, too many very, very important decisions are made with these models and they will continue to be made with mm-hmm. these models um, and, and not trust our future to, you know, automated algorithms that people don't understand and don't have uh, the right proper rigor mm-hmm. around. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, 
there has been a, you know, a concept that regulation uh, inhibits innovation, right? And you can even look at some of the discussion here in the United States and, you know, it's basically, well, keep, keep in mind regulation, but don't let it hamper your innovation. Yeah. Um, and uh, I actually think, and I've, I've been pretty vocal on this, that regulation actually creates innovation. Um, there are ways to meet okay. regulatory uh, guidance. Um, and, and, and drive that forward from an innovation perspective. So I'd look for more of that, more reg tech um, technology mm -hmm. moving forward, more awareness of these issues, um, whether mandated by regulation or whether it's just, you know, organizations understanding the responsibility they have to, to their consumer base um, that they serve to have these ethical AI uh, uh, pieces in place. But I think that was, is what we're going to see in the next year, is that sort of battle of, you know, models for cheap, um, versus mm -hmm. model built well and responsibly. And um, I, I certainly know which side I'm on on that uh, front. Absolutely. Well, I think that is all we have time for today, Scott. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, I can already hear the applause from the listeners listening to this. And uh, I, I hope you've enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I really thank you for your time and, and, and the listeners. Um, and, you know, really important topics and uh, always excited to respond to questions. So as, as mentioned, if you want to reach out through LinkedIn or Twitter, I'm more than happy to engage that way too. Thank you so much. What a super session. I particularly loved the amount of car analogies within that conversation to really explain ethics and AI. And I loved the idea of it being important to acknowledge that on this journey of ethics, and it's not a case of do it once and you've done it forever. It's a case of revisiting it and approaching it in that journey-like way. Now, the conversation that we had here today is part of the Building AI-Driven Enterprise in a Disruptive Environment report. As I said in the beginning, this was conducted by Corinium on behalf of FICO. You're able to read the full report on our Business of Data platform. Do head over, download and dive in. What we spoke about today was really the tip of the iceberg, so there's lots more to get involved in. As always, join us again where we will have more conversations with fantastic data analytics leaders. For now, stay well, look after yourself and I'll see you real soon.